Welcome to the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. I am Dr. Nicole Lowe, and with me is Dr. Stephanie Edmonds. We are both PhD-prepared nurses and the founders of Woman-Centered Health. Join us as we talk with health professionals and researchers who can help you improve your communication with patients about sexual and reproductive health. Please visit our website to learn more and connect with us on social media by going to www.womancenteredhealth.com. Welcome to the Women Centered Health Podcast. Today we are speaking with Katherine Hill, Senior Director of Nursing Education, Research, and Practice for the Association of Women's Health Obstetrics and Neonatal Nursing, or AWAN for short, and Rose Horton, Executive Director of Women and Infant at Emory Decatur Hospital. They both were part of a team that led the development of AWAN's Respectful Maternity Care Toolkit, which we think is a great resource for many of our listeners. But before we start our interview, we want to thank all of you for listening and let you know that you can earn CEs and get key takeaways, resources, and transcripts by visiting our website, womancenteredhealth.com. Also, Stephanie and I put this podcast together in our free time and often use our personal funds, so please consider supporting us. You can support us by subscribing and giving us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. If you are able to offer a financial donation, visit our website and click the Support Us tab. All right, let's meet our guests. Hi, Rose and Catherine. Thank you so much for being a guest on our podcast today. So if you could first give us a little bit of details about your background, I'll start with Catherine. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie, and thank you for having us. So I've been a registered nurse for over 30 years and an advanced practice nurse for about 13 years. All of my career has been focused in women's health, obstetrics, and neonatal nursing, and I've had roles as a clinician, faculty, educator, manager, and then more recently have worked in the advanced practice field. But for the last 15 years, I have worked at A1, and in my role now, I have both direct and indirect oversight of many of our programs and products that are developed by the nurse leaders on staff. So I was really excited to be able to work with our Respectful Maternity Care Program and to engage with, with a lot of our members throughout that work. All right, Rose. Hi. As you said, my name is Rose Horton. And like Kathy, my passion is centered around the birthing community And I was privileged to get a job in labor and delivery as a new grad, and I never ventured too far from Women and Infant Services and currently work as the um, Executive Director of Women and Infant Services at Emory Decatur Hospital. I've been a member for A1 for almost 18 years now and had the pleasure of serving as uh, on the board of directors and then as the president in 2012. So um, very connected to A1, its mission, its goals, and everything that A1 does. So I had the opportunity in 2017 to do a presentation around morbidity and mortality. And as I was doing research for that presentation and looking at so many of the articles talking about the increasing rates of morbidity and mortality, I felt really angry and frustrated. And I coined the hashtag not on my watch because I said, you know, I believe that nurses can change a trajectory of morbidity and mortality. So I created that hashtag thinking it was going to you know, go viral in the four corners of 
our hospital, but it was a call to action for nurses. And thankfully, it has grown and expanded. And as a result, I would say of my passion for morbidity and mortality, I am very much more focused in what are the important relationship dynamics that needs to occur between clinicians and between patients to ensure that. And then Kathy talked about, hey, Rose, do you want to be part of this amazing work uh, regarding respectful maternity care? And I was like, uh, yes, sign me up. So uh, it definitely fits in with my, my life's work. Well, and I just want to say, too, I feel like this is a big circle moment for me and Nicole. So first of all, Rose um, is somebody we've wanted to have on for a while and heard about her initially through Dixie Weber and Rebecca Volley, who have been on our podcast also. And hopefully we'll have another recording with Rose. And then Catherine and I uh, have worked together in my paid position at the University of Iowa doing evidence-based practice with A1. So it's really cool to get to record with both of you. So the, <laughs> the next question that we always ask our guests is what informs your perspective? So in other words, why do you do what you do and what is most valuable to you? And I'll start with Rose this time. That's a great question. And I think what fuels me is equitable care for all patients that we care for, but especially the marginalized communities, because because I am a woman of color and I know what disrespect feels like. I know the sting of microaggression and of racism. I am really fueled by lending my voice to really amplifying the need for creating anti-racist workplaces and treating everyone with dignity and respect, you know, not equally, but treating everyone equitably so that they can be successful. So I, I think that that's primarily it. Thank you, Rose. And Catherine? So as I talked about, my entire career has been in um, maternal child health field. And I think for me, I always felt most satisfied in any setting when I had the time to sit and listen and learn for really what people that I were working with, whether it was colleagues or families or patients, what did they need? You know, what did those interactions mean in the outcomes? And so when I moved into the national level, I wanted to keep that peace because that's really what I think drives me. So at this level, I have the ability to impact nurses and the patients they care for with, you know, uh, networking opportunities, member engagement. And so that really drives me to have the time to listen, interact with members like Rose. We bring teams together and we we listen, we brainstorm and respond to what the requests are from our members from an organizational level. And so I really feel like what's driving me now are responding to member needs and impacting patient outcomes. Yeah, thank you. I love that an- that answer to that question from both of you. We always love the answers. We do questions. always love it. And we love when it is brought to attention, responding to the needs of our community, because that is yes. quintessentially nursing. And I feel like every great partnership or project starts out with, oh, hey, I have an idea. <laughs> so, and then dragging someone in it. Right, Stephanie? Sound familiar? <laughs> yes, 100%. <laughs> 
Yeah. And and while like we were getting these very good answers and very serious responses, we have a six month old baby giving us googly <laughs> eyes and the cutest smiles ever. So it's, it's hard to focus. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. Nicole, <laughs> no. That's the best part. Don't be, Don't sorry. be sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Adorable. All right. Go ahead, Nicole. Okay. So like we said, today we are going to talk about A1 and their Respectful Maternity Care Toolkit. So let's jump right in. So let's start out a bit broad. Can you first tell us about A1, including their mission and goals and how it started? Sure, I'd be happy to share that. So it's always interesting when we have new staff or new members and we talk about where did A1 come from. So A1 was originally the nursing branch of ACOG, which was NACOG, so the Nurses Association of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. And the nurses within that group were a subspecialty type member group to the physician organization. But really, as the nursing profession has grown, and we recognize that nurses need to be accountable for their own practice and really have valued the knowledge we have and the expertise we have within our own community, it was important that we separated off and, and really focused on the nursing profession. So in 1993, the nursing side of NACOG separated from ACOG and became AWAN, which uh, promoted nursing as a distinct and really autonomous self-governed professional organization. The only thing that I would add is I consider A1, you know, as a member versus an, an employee, I consider A1 my professional home. And I remember, and I will always remember the very first conference that I attended, how incredibly magical it was to be there because I didn't know this existed. And there were so many nurses like me in the profession. So I remember how magical it was and the amazing people that I met my first year, I met the CEO of the organization. Uh, she was walking around in the exhibit hall and just randomly came. She's like, oh, I see you're a first time attendee. And I think the relationship was really forged then that I felt valued. I felt seen. I felt heard. The content was amazing. There was amazing speakers. So I'll always remember that excitement as I speak to others about hey, did you know that there's a professional association designed for nurses and it's um, membership-based for nurses and they provide education for our specialty, like just for us. So I'm able to share that excitement. And I love when I am able to bring um, staff in for their first meeting, their first annual convention, because I see it in their eyes and in their face. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I told you, it's magical, isn't it? Um, so I love the work that A1 does. And I love the fact that A1 is, is autonomous and we can speak distinctly about us as a profession. But I also love, as part of the work that A1 does, the legislative piece, the policy piece, our visibility you know, on Capitol Hill and our visibility in weighing in on very important matters that impact us as nurses and impact our, our practice and our scope. So, yeah, I am totally indebted and totally committed to the association. That makes my heart happy. Same. <laughs> so I can continue on and, and now focus on, you know, really our mission. And if we think about what A1 does, we have really five major strategic goals that we work towards, number one being diversity. And that's across 
everything we do, but also having an awareness of where the needs are and where we need to be as an organization. Rose spoke a little bit about advocacy and where our efforts go there. We have a strong commitment to our members um, and ensuring their voices are heard and they have the resources they need to provide the best care. We really focus on knowledge and education and then the infrastructure to do our work. But our mission overall is to empower and support nurses who are caring for women, newborns, and their families through research, education, and advocacy. And those can be found in many different ways, whether it's through an online course or a product, or you attend an annual convention, as Rose spoke to, the excitement around that, or attend Capitol on the Hill and engage with your legislative representatives from your home state. There are so many opportunities to really empower yourself and have the resources you need to take care of yourself and take care of your patients. Awesome. Thank you for that background. So can you also give us a little bit more background on A1 um, and talk about the types of clinicians who are members and also the benefits that A1 provides to its members? Yeah, so as you know, we've been talking about A1 is a professional nursing association or a member association that's comprised of the majority of nurses. We have about 24,000 members and we do have the opportunity to be an e-member or a full member and there are different levels of benefits that go with those categories. Most of the nurses that are members of the organization are either advanced practice registered nurses or registered nurses within within the perinatal space. So that covers all the fields across the reproductive spectrum. So before pregnancy, during pregnancy, after pregnancy, women's health across the lifespan, and even nursery and newborn intensive care. Our members come from outpatient settings, inpatient settings. Some of them have their own businesses. And so they're very engaged and active in their own careers as well as within the organization. Some of the benefits we have, you know, as we've been speaking on this podcast, and we've already been talking about some of the resources that are available, getting engaged in advocacy efforts, but we do ask, you know, members to come forward and work with us. We're looking for subject matter experts As we develop resources and educational programs, we're asking members to participate in national research teams. There's always access to our two journals. So if you're not familiar with those, we have a clinical practice journal, which is Nursing for Women's Health. And we have our research journal, which is the Journal of Obstetric, Gynecologic, and Neonatal Nursing. And we have a pathway. So for those who come in as early career members and want assistance with professional development, they can move through early career, emerging leaders, and we'll be releasing a newly established fellows program next year. And then there are all the networking opportunities we've been talking about. So we have internal member hubs. You can join a national committee, attending a national meeting. There are so many benefits, but I think the key is engagement with people in your professional setting and the opportunity to impact larger than within your own facility. You can help us make an impact from the national level. Well, that sounds amazing. All right, so let's talk about A1's Respectful Maternity Care Toolkit specifically. What is Respectful Maternity Care? I think that's a really great question. And the way I would define Respectful Maternity Care is care that allows the patient or client, whatever phrase you want to use, of the person that you're taking care of, that allows them to be seen, to be heard, 
to feel safe, to feel like they are the priority and that they have a voice in the decisions that are being made about them, their body, their pregnancy, their labor, their birth, where they can, at the end of an interaction, say, wow, that was really great. That was really great. You know, I remember as a staff nurse in labor and delivery, loving, loving labor and delivery. And what always made me feel the best was those exuberant um, parents, usually dads, that would reach across the bed and give me a big hug, you know, after the baby's born, you know, as all of us are crying, or the really sweet cards that I would get in the mail, sometimes weeks later saying, I don't know if you remember me, but having you as my nurse was really impactful. You made a difference. I felt so safe in your care. And I think that's what respect is all about. It's, It's about that high end, my imagination, spa feeling that you can have, but within one of the most vitally important life altering events that happens, which is childbirth. Yeah, I think Rose did a great job about, you know, sharing her personal experiences and how we actually promote and provide respect. I think, you know, respectful maternity care is really about emphasizing the fundamental rights of women during the reproductive spectrum, specifically in childbirth. We know that's a really vulnerable phase for people and giving them the space to share and be heard, making sure that they have equitable access to the best care and evidence-based care. But at the same time, we really need to think about how each experience should be individualized and we need to focus on their own preferences and be sure that we're meeting what their needs are. Yeah, I remember. So I had the pleasure of seeing Catherine speak on the Respectful Maternity Care Toolkit yesterday at the Iowa A1 conference. And you did a little activity where we could use our phones and enter in how we define, each of us individually defined uh, respectful maternity care. And people could write their answers in and then she made this word cloud out of it. And what you could see is that like there was a huge variety of uh, people defining it in different ways. But I think, yeah, I think that that is definitely a nice summary. I think I put kindness and compassion and non-judgmental, which is, I think, what we talk a lot about on women-centered health. So this is all about what the same thing that we talk about on every episode, like respectful. Yeah, I love that word. And I think it's to the word, one of the words Kathy used, and that's um, individualized, right? There's a saying we have at my organization when we talk about pain, you know, the pain scale and, you know, the functional pain scale, all the pain scale. But we came up with a term, it's like, you know, pain is what the patient says it is, plain and simple. And that's an, ex- an example of that individualized. So if for you, respect is, is compassion, then that's how you're going to embrace it. And that's how I should navigate my care to ensure that that's what happens to you. For somebody else, if it is, you know, respecting me is making sure that I'll use pain, that my pain is is managed. I really want an epidural as soon as I can have an epidural. Can you 
partner with me and make sure that happens, you know? So that's the way that I need to navigate my care towards that need. So being individualized, recognizing that everybody, everybody interprets it a little bit differently, but we are able to meet their needs where they are. Let's talk about why A1 really saw a need to develop this toolkit. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, so I think, you know, we've been hitting on some of these things as we've been talking. And so, uh, you know, as Rose described earlier, we, we really have a crisis in the United States around maternal morbidity and mortality. And we need to do something. There are really too many people that are dying or having long-term conditions related to childbirth in this country. And, you know, the latest data show that those numbers are definitely increasing. So how do we how do we really make an impact, especially in those underrepresented populations where, you know, those rates of maternal morbidity and mortality are, are much higher? So we really sat down and, you know, thought about what can we do as a national organization? And we knew we know that disrespect leads to distrust, right? So if if people distrust healthcare pro- professionals, which is anyone who comes in contact with a patient, uh, we can have poor maternal outcomes from that, which which does lead to our increasing rates of maternal morbidity and mortality. So we decided to strategize and think internally. I will say we were lucky to have our program funded by Huggies Healthcare. And so we were able to make this big and really take it across a whole spectrum of what can we do for resources uh, to impact this. And our overall goal was to develop a, an entire program that would provide those resources to decrease disrespect and inequities in the care that we provide by starting with individual bias and then looking at organizational and structural barriers that continue to persist in our in our healthcare system across the country. Rosie, you have anything to add? Yes. So for me, Within our organization, we started what we call the journey towards equity. It started shortly after the hashtag. And in looking at our patient satisfaction scores and looking at their their comments, as we looked at the big HCAP buckets, the ones that were huge outliers for us in my organization was centered around courtesy and respect. And I'll always remember the first conversation I had with the leadership team, you know, as you show, you know, it wasn't about pain. It wasn't about timeliness. It wasn't about how quiet the unit is. It was around courtesy and respect. Oh, and food, food is another big one. So I show them all the, the, the categories. I'm like, which ones do you think is our major problem? One of like, it's food, it's cleanliness. We're not clean. I'm like, y'all, it's courtesy and respect. And we own that. So when we noticed that, we became intentional and said, we need to do a deeper dive into this. So in our leadership rounding forms, what we did was we added a couple of lines to it. We added race to it because we were interested. Hey, was everyone telling us that we were discourteous or was it a specific group of people? So we Shortly thereafter, noticed that it was our Black patients that consistently felt disrespected. So then we really started the the meaningful and the hard work. So we created a, a program 
2019 called um, Respectful Equitable Care because we wanted to be intentional to say, listen, listen, we're not going to do this. And then shortly after that, we followed with a, a program, mandatory program for all of our staff, nurses, our, our techs, our unit secretaries, everyone who works in our in our unit. And then we did one about shared decision-making because we thought that was the rational next step. And then the most recent one we did was on unique families, really looking at the LGBTQIA and um, Rebecca Valley and Dixie Weber. They presented that for us and looking at surrogacy and adoption and substance um, use disorder. And what happened at the end of 2020 and 2021 is that we had the highest patient satisfaction scores we've ever had in over a decade. So you can't tell me that during a pandemic that having those high scores was just, you know, a gift that dropped from the sky. I think it was our intentionality. So I've been very, having seen What's possible? I've I've been a diehard of yes. Let's talk about respect. That's the root cause, and so many great things can evolve through ensuring that in every interaction with every patient that we're respectful. Yes, let's talk about it. So we've kind of talked about our our why. Now let's move into the how. So how was the respectful maternity care toolkit developed? Yeah, thank you. So I think, you know, once we knew we needed to develop a program, we really sat down and strategized what that would look like. And we engaged uh, 10 key members who, you know, applied and interviewed to work with us because we wanted to make sure we really had a diverse group to inform what we were doing. And, you know, everything we do at A1 is evidence-based. So we really started with a literature search. And as we started to see themes come in, the team wanted to begin with developing a framework. So really, you know, that framework took our phenomena of interest, so respect, and really helped us map out how those key concepts interacted with each other. We pulled those themes, we created that framework, and then we moved into developing an evidence-based clinical practice guideline. A1 has a really strong scholarly way that we create our evidence-based guidelines, and they take a lot of time. And we were careful. We made sure we took the time we needed to read every article, to really look at the themes and the way they interacted, and then pull the key concepts into a document that provides recommendations and supportive rationale statements all around those key themes that are embedded within our framework. And then from there, we said, okay, now we need to implement because we have these products. How do we support members and others who want to use these in implementation? And that's how the toolkit theme arose. And as Rose spoke to us earlier, I reached right out to Rose and said, would you like to come on board with us and help us develop this toolkit? And I said, Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes, that was lovely. So to Kathy's point, the hard work was really informing the evidence-based guidelines, right? So started with the framework, which really informed all the work and all the writing and all the literature review that occurred after that. So we had a really great foundation and that was about, okay, how do we operationalize this, you know, how do we make it 
so that someone can embrace this, replicate it, and and scale it across the United States. And the toolkit was a recommendation that A1 had, and it made perfect sense. So we had a really creative team, and we started thinking about, okay, what's really important to us in creating this, this toolkit? We wanted it to be something easy. We want it to be something relatable. So people will be like, oh, I see, I see what you did there. That makes sense. I can remember that. And we wanted it to be just a normal part of what you do every day, not, hey, I'm going to teach you a whole new skill set called respectful maternity care. That wasn't, that wasn't the objective because no one has time for that. So those were all the things that we were thinking about as we started working on creating the, the toolkit. So you'll see that the toolkit has 10 steps. And as nurses in the birthing community, we're all very familiar with the 10 steps to become a, a baby-friendly hospital or promote um, breastfeeding. So we're like, let's make it 10 steps. And then because we're nurses and we love acronyms, someone said, well, let's create an acronym. And one of our very creative nurses created the acronym CAREPATH. So as you look at the toolkit, CARE, the essence of what we all do as nurses, and here's the path, right, to respectful maternity care. And then after that, we just thought from a really strategic, basic operations, what are the steps you need to do to be successful? We started with commitment. We need commitment from somewhere, ideally from the C-suite, because with that commitment comes usually resources, Um, So we started every step layers on each other. We recommend that you start with one and work your way all the way through. I mean, I wouldn't be mad at you if you wanted to start with a celebration, not sure what you're celebrating, but so we think it should be sequential that you start with a commitment and then you end with a huge celebration because it would have been a heavy lift. But we were intentional. We said, assemble a team. You know, that's one of the vital steps. You want people who really have the passion for this work uh, to be part of the work. And then we said readiness is important. Is your organization ready for the work? And so we have some really great assessments and surveys to help organizations to see, well, am I ready? And like Baby Friendly, we said we want education to be for everyone, everyone who touches a patient. So not just your team, but consider environmental services because they're in the room with your patient. Consider food and nutrition. They bring a tray. They need to know what respectful maternity care is. Consider radiology. They come up and they will do a scan. Consider registration. The person, you know, who admits um, all of our patients. So all of the steps are really, really make perfect sense. We said, let's do a policy because if it's important enough for us to do all this work, let's create a policy around it. Step six is about culture. And we need like a whole nother recording to talk about culture. We said adapt culture. You know, I say that culture is the unwritten rules of your organization, your policies and your procedures. This is what we do at my facility. Then the culture is like what really happens that nobody tells you about until you have a major faux pas. And it's like, oh, that's what you guys do here, you know? So we need to look at, at the culture. We need to look at measurement and all of that, all of the steps lead to the successful implementation um, of the toolkit. So it was a lot of fun. It's resonating, right, Kathy? It's resonating every place that I've been. And Kathy has been, we need that song for Kathy. I've been everywhere, man, because she's been everywhere also speaking to this but it resonates. I was recently in West Virginia just two weeks ago, and it was a an ACOG and a PQI meeting. 
And it was the providers who came up to me afterwards to talk to me, the providers. It was a couple of NFMs and a couple of OB generalists. And my heart was like so glad. I'm like, you guys are feeling this? This is great. This is great. So yeah, I think the toolkit is great. It's going to revolutionize revolutionize the way that we provide care uh, for our, our patients. And we so need that. Yeah. And Rose, I just, you know, when you said the the physicians came up, I had a similar interaction when I spoke at a fetology conference in Chicago a few weeks ago. And, you know, I was in that they separate their conference out into physician and nursing sessions. So if you can only come for half the day, you choose. And there were many physicians who stayed for the afternoon and they were the ones who were very engaged and said, we need to change the way we do things here. And so when you hear that, right, after you're out speaking and disseminating these really valuable resources for physicians and providers and, and, and you know, nurses, everyone who says, what can I do? We need to change. Can you help us? It just, it really helps you recognize that there are a lot of people who are ready, right? They're ready to commit and they're ready to move forward. Yeah, exactly. And I think changes seem so big and hard and impossible sometimes, especially when you're working every day in those front lines. So giving them a tangible toolkit is really a great idea. So can you talk a little bit about you, you did mention some things that are in that toolkit. Can you talk more specifically about what is in that toolkit and what the 10 steps are? I'd be happy to do that. So the first step, um, because it's care path, the first step is commit. So we're going to commit to the decision uh, to do this. The second step is to assemble the team. Ideally, the team should be multidisciplinary so that you can have the voices of, of many, many folks. And then readiness. Um, there's a, several surveys to help you have the conversation. Are we ready for this change? What could be a potential barrier? What do we have in place that uh, may be impeding our ability to provide respect maternity care? The next step is education. And as I mentioned, everyone needs to be educated, everyone who interacts with the patient. Uh, then step number five, the P for PATH, is policy. And then adapt culture. And after adapt culture, it's um, assume accountability. Now, accountability is like my favorite word of all. I love it because it really is the linchpin of any successful initiative. You know, if you're going to do a whole new initiative and you say, we're going to do this, and then you put it out there. And then some people are early adopters and some people are like, I'm just going to wait it out because in a month it's going to go away. What accountability loop have you created for those resistant folks? So we talk about accountability and in the we have a video for every step. And in the video for accountability, Tim talks about, you know, it's accountability to yourself first, and then it's to your patient, and then it's to your organization, it's to your profession, it's to your team. So I love the way that he talks about accountability because it is multifactorial as you consider accountability. And then eight and nine is about measurement, tailored data measurement. So we believe that an important aspect of implementing respectful maternity care is to look at our data stratified and not just aggregated data because aggregated data will tell you one story, 
But when you stratify your data, it tells you the truth. So that's important. And in test measurements is step number nine. So within our organization, when we define the metrics that we were going to look at, stratify, we had to go back and do some tweaking, which is why we put in that test measurement, because it, it didn't make sense for us and it didn't give us the the answer that we needed. So we needed to reframe it and come back. And when we did and we reworded the the numerator for this one question, it's like, oh, now I have all the data that we need. And then step number 10, again, a celebration. Again, after you've done all this work, let's let's celebrate. You know, my big hairy goal is that in the near future, maybe in a year or two, that A1 will have a an award, an organization-wide award, Respectful Maternity Care Award, and, and then we'll have opportunities for people to talk about their journey towards respectful maternity care through storytelling. What did they learn? What did their, their outcomes show? And then of all the submissions, somebody's going to get this beautiful, magnificent award, and they'll have a designation of being respectful maternity care recipient worthy by A1. I'm sure A1 will come up with a very fabulous title, but that's that's what I envision, right? That they have something to work towards. Maybe I, I tease with Huggies. I'm like, maybe Huggies will put the money towards a wonderful award that people will want to clamor for. I'm like, I want that award, you know, just like we want, you want, we want Daisy and we want Magnet or we want Malcolm Baldridge. We're going to want that respectful maternity care award from A1. So that's my own vision. But that's step number 10 is that celebration. And so it's important, I think, you know, Rose, thank you for sharing those 10 steps. But for people to know this is a it's a fluid toolkit. It's it's not something that you hold in your hand. Right. It's available on the A1 website. Every single step that Rose just discussed is set the same way. So when you have your access code and you go in and you link to it, it starts with a video. And Rose talked about Tim's video Rose actually has a great video in there, too, that we love to watch. And then there's an introductory paragraph to to the, the key theme of that step. And then we give bullet points on, you know, important points for that step. And then each step has resources designed around that step. So some of them have interactive tools. Some of them have templates to use. There may be journal articles. There are videos. There are podcasts. There are policies you can download and adapt. We have S-bars and infographics. We have links to journal articles. And as we have more resources, we continue to build and drop them into those steps. So our work is not done. And we will continue to build on this and hear from members who are engaged in their own journeys of respectful care in organizations as we have feedback we will keep building on this program. It sounds like an amazing program, and I am a personal fan of templates. <laughs> we can have those available. Okay, so say we have a clinician listening now who is sold, wants to implement this toolkit on their unit. Oh, Forrest is really excited about it too. What advice do you have for getting buy-in from peers and leadership? So... I like to encourage really two things when we're thinking and talking to leadership and both from peers, uh, peers and leadership. There are two things, the patient and yourself, right? So when Rose talked about accountability and being accountable, we have to be accountable to ourselves. 
And in order to be accountable, we provide self-care, as Tim talks about. So we know nursing is a balancing act, right? We're very busy. We have families. We do a lot inside and outside of work. And we're not great at self-care, which then leads to our inability to be respectful. So I think when we talk to peers and leaders, we need to ensure that we have a healthy workforce environment that allows us to have the time we need to take care of ourselves and our families so that when we're at work, we're energized and we're focused and we really have the capacity to implement these strategies we're talking about, the time to sit and listen the time to actually learn and to hear from our patients. And then the second piece I always like to talk about is, and Rose alluded to this a little bit in the patient discharge data, look at patient outcomes and can you impact these outcomes, right? Are patients being listened to? Are they having the length of stay they need? Are we addressing their concerns and their potential complications to prevent concerns when they go home or readmissions. And when you have goals that you can set around your patient outcomes, readmissions, discharge data, and you see those things changing, you're going to know that using these resources and implementing a respectful maternity care program is really important. And I think, Rose, really, you discussed this earlier on, and that's really impactful to use when you're talking to your peers and talking to your leaders. I agree, Kathy, with everything that you're saying. And we we do have to be sensitive in how we frame an organization's desire to move forward with this initiative because it can be perceived as as additional work and it really it really isn't additional work. Um, I think the opportunity exists for us to frame it around, hey, what would it feel like if all of our patients were 100% satisfied with their care? You know, when you think about the level of incivility that is happening within organizations, and we don't know what the root cause is of all incivility, but for some, it's fear, right? For some, it's feeling like they're not being heard. What would it, what would our organization look like if everyone was 100% satisfied with their care? And how would that make us feel as nurses who are providing care, because that would that would feed your spirit, right? To know that every interaction with your patient is going to be pleasant, it's going to be lovely. Um, you're going to be re-engaged with what you know fuels your passion, and I, I think that's the way to have the conversation: is reimagining what relationships could look like, reimagining what outcomes could look like. You know, it's like, hey, imagine falling in love with your profession again. This is a way that that can happen. So I think that's that's another way that that it can be framed. I love that. I know that we talk about this a lot in our podcast. Just, yeah, like things that you think will take more, you don't, will take time that you don't have it. We think that it will really save you time in the long run over time. And one of those things is building that trust with patients and having those really meaningful relationships, too. Because a lot of I feel like 100 percent of us, maybe not 100 percent, but most of us go into healthcare because we want those positive experiences where we feel like we have that really great relationship with a patient and we want all of our interactions to be like that. So 
but like the day to day, we just get wrapped up in the tasks and not the person, which makes me think of that video. So Kathy showed a video yesterday. I think you all created it based on a true story. And I think that is a great way also to get buy in from people. Nicole and I talk a lot too about not ideal behavior from clinicians. Because sometimes like it's like with this podcast, we're preaching to the choir, like the people who are listening to us, like, are probably giving, you know, great care. And but we know that we have seen we've experienced ourselves as patients, sometimes where it's not great care. And that video that I think you guys created it off of a real story, but it was basically like a a woman of color as a, pa- a pregnant patient, and she is laying on her side, and the nurse is at the computer typing away, and then the OB gen comes in, doesn't talk to the patient at all, and uh, talks to the nurse only, and is like, okay, I'm going to dilate or uh, break her water now, and rupture, you know, rupture her membrane, and they, you know, go through the whole sterile thing, and they don't talk to the patient at all. She just like kind of tells the patient to flip over and breaks her breaks her membrane and then walks out. <laughs> so like there was no consent, there was no hi how are you doing? I'm your doctor, <laughs> like any of that. And and I have seen that happen not just in in reproductive healthcare, but I've seen that happen so many times where the provider just kind of comes in, does their task and leaves. And really treating that patient kind of as a thing to do rather than a a person who's there for care. So I really, I really saw that video as as great buy-in because I think as nurses, we've all seen that happening. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about barriers to implementing. So what other barriers do you see teams coming up against when they go implementing the toolkit? And how would you recommend addressing those barriers? I think, you know, what... We hear people say, and Rose just spoke of this, I don't have time. And the elements of the guideline and the toolkit aren't anything different than the care we should be providing all the time, every day, in everything we do. And so when people say that, it's really just, we encourage them to really take the time to look at the program and just take a few strategies away to start to work on. And then they'll see oh, this is the way I should be doing this every day. So that's, you know, a barrier that we talk through. We've heard from some teams who are using this and they're saying one of the barriers are really differences in opinions between within the healthcare team, right? So if if one provider's on, they're maybe doing something one way. And if another provider's on, they're interacting or doing something a different way. And so we really need to focus more on collaboration and communication, maybe using a shared shared mental model. And so we talk to organizations about that and how to get there. So we have, you know, barriers within ourselves that need to be addressed and then barriers within our team. And as we hear these concerns come through, we continue to look for ways to find resources to integrate into that toolkit to help people address those barriers. I'm sure we'll continue to hear more and we'll continue to work with those who are using it to ensure they have the strategies they need to be successful. I agree, Kathy. And I think another huge barrier that we should consider when I say we, I mean, the leadership team is definitely something that I consider is we're at a very unique juncture in healthcare. 
I'm almost afraid to say post-pandemic. I think we can say post-pandemic, but this pandemic has been terrible. It's decimated healthcare. We suffered the brunt of the pandemic as it relates to the emotional and the psychological trauma, as it relates to burnout, as it relates to turnover. I saw this really great framework, speaking of those who love templates and love framework, um, and it's called the Empathy uh, Framework. And I really, really, really love that framework because it talks about what we what we usually do, you know, that we have an introduction and then we immerse ourselves and we form a connection. But in the uh, Empathy Framework, it talks about a fourth step and the fourth step is detachment or to disconnect. And I think... I believe, and I may be speaking for myself, but I think I speak for a lot of the profession, that for us as nurses, it's hard to do that detachment piece. So we stay engaged and connected with everyone and with their life stories and with with their issues. And that really leads to compassion fatigue, you know, just, and when you have compassion fatigue, you really have an inability to be empathetic. And I, I, I think we need to speak to that. We need to speak to, as Kathy spoke to earlier, well-being, the well-being of us as nurses and as healthcare uh, professionals and clinicians. We need to be intentional in making sure that we detach and that we focus on self-care so that our empathy can be rejuvenated um, because if, if you're in compassion fatigue, there's nothing that I can tell you. It's like alarm fatigue, right? I will walk into the nurse's station. It doesn't matter which. Like, it could be labor and delivery. It could be NICU. And I will hear an alarm. I'm like, y'all hear that? I'm like, what? What's that? You know, so it's just like a- alarm fatigue. You just don't hear it anymore. And you don't want that compassion fatigue where you have no compassion anymore. So I think the opportunity is to work on well, be intentional, to work on well-being, and maybe do like a joint thing. That would be really cool, um, Kathy. Like offer like a a well-being program along with respectful maternity care. It's like, okay, we're going to feed you so that you can feed the, the clients that you take care of. But I think there's an opportunity for those, the two of those to dovetail nicely. And then also, once we have them back with some empathy and we can say, let's reimagine this. Imagine every patient being totally happy. People are like, oh my God, I love that. Yes, I can see that. And then they'll be ready to engage and they'll be your champions and your cheerleaders and you'll have a very successful rollout. Well, and I think that'll be our next podcast episode, right? We can, we'll have respectful maternity care and then we'll talk about burnout and compassion and empathy. I think that's what I just heard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, ma'am. That's what you heard. (laughs) All right. So what is the one thing or, you know, one to two things that you would want all clinicians to know about the toolkit? It's hard to narrow it to one or two. I think you need to be ready, right? So recognize that this is a journey. You know, we're engaging with and we're learning and we're implementing components of respectful maternity care and learning that we may need to change some of the things we do, right? Maybe the way we interact with our patients or their families or our peers, or ourselves, right? That self journey, giving yourself grace, knowing we're going to make mistakes. It's really about being open 
and being accountable. And I always say, you know, once you have had the opportunity to have a high level overview, find your people, find your colleagues who are ready to take the journey with you, who are ready to hold you accountable and have you be accountable to them too. You can start small and and take this journey on your own. The goal is that it becomes really an organizational journey in the long run. So I think the one or maybe just the one thing that I would say about the toolkit, one of our primary goals in implementing the toolkit was to mitigate morbidity and mortality. You know, we're talking about lives. People die, right? People suffer trauma at the hands of us clinicians at the healthcare system. They're not seen, they're not heard, and an untoward event happens, and there's a loss of life. And I think it was Stephanie that said all of us went into healthcare because, you know, we wanted to make a difference and we wanted to care for people. We all want that. And I, and there's an opportunity to remind everyone that we're living in the highest rate of morbidity and mortality we've ever had in the United States with CDC sharing some data just in September that 80% of the deaths are preventable, 80%. So that should be jarring enough for our specialty to say, oh my gosh, you know, not on my watch. This is not going to happen. Why wouldn't we put something in place that will benefit us, benefit our patients and save lives? It's a no-brainer. So I would put it all around morbidity and mortality. A couple things that I really appreciate y'all bringing up too is that this is a journey. And I think very often we're like, you know, checklist. I want to arrive there. I want to be there. But this stuff truly is a journey. And that's okay that it's a journey. But we have to start somewhere. The other piece that I really wanted to talk about as well and that I appreciate, and and this is another theme that we find in a lot of our episodes, is a lot of this is doing that self-work, that, you know, looking inwards and reflecting and challenging ourselves and asking those hard questions of ourselves. And that so much of communication with others really stems from within and taking those steps to be better within so that we can then have better communication with whomever we are taking care of. Uh, So I appreciate that, that that was also very much a part of this discussion. Thank you. So I was wondering too, Rose, so Kathy showed a video of you, and I think that's on your website, where you're introducing yourself to a hypothetical patient. And I wondered if you could just talk to our listeners about what you know, what you what you say when you introduce yourself to a patient, just so to provide them some tips on how to be respectful right from that first interaction. Sure, I'd love to. So I think it's important to initiate conversations with the patient, starting with what is it their preferred name? You know, do you want to be called by your first name? Do you want to be called Mrs.? So starting there, I would just introduce myself and say, I've been taking care of patients in the birthing community for 20 years. So I am very confident and I feel very competent to provide care for you. 
And let me tell you what I commit to in the time that I'm caring for you. The first thing is I commit to treating you with dignity and respect. And what that means is I'm going to speak to you professionally and kindly. And I'm going to knock before I enter your room. And I'm going to listen to make sure you said come in. I'm not going to knock and come in. When I come in, I'm going to close the door behind me. I'm going to pull the curtain because I want to protect your privacy. And the second thing I commit to is listening and believing you. So pain is whatever you say it is. If you say you're in pain, I believe you. If you say you're exhausted, I believe you. If you say you're you're scared, I believe you. I commit to treating you with evidence-based care. We are professionals. We are scientists and researchers in nursing. We don't just make decisions haphazardly. We really go by the science. So please know that I'm providing evidence-based care for you. I commit to shared decision-making. I want to hear what's important to you. This is your labor, your birth, your postpartum period. And what's important to you is important to me as well. So I commit to that. I want you to know that I see you. I hear you. I'm your person. And I will advocate for you. And I think starting a relationship with anyone with that level of commitment decreases anxiety. It allows people to feel seen and heard and they can focus on the important work that they need to do. Um, and that's that's a little bit of what I say in the video. Yeah, and it's so powerful when you say that. I can't imagine having a nurse say that to me in the hospital. But also, like, it took you, what, two, not even two minutes to say all that. So it is just beautiful. And imagine if all clinicians were saying that to their patients at every interaction. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's just a really great quick tip to provide. Catherine, were you going to add something? I was going to say that that right there sets the stage for trust. Right. And when our patients trust us, we have great outcomes because they're not afraid to talk or share. And that barrier has been removed. They trust Rose. You can you can see it in her interaction, in her voice and the way she communicates. Yeah, I love that. So I just wanted I I saw that yesterday and I was like, I want to say something about that on the video because I thought it was just such a powerful clip. Okay. So, Kathy and Rose, I would personally like to thank you so much for your time and commitment to advancing sexual and reproductive health care through communication. Do you have any last thoughts that you would like to add before we end? Stephanie, thank you. Thank you so much for having us. You know, I just want people to take time to reflect be patient and kind to themselves, and really give themselves the space to learn and grow within a framework of respect. Because respect doesn't only happen in healthcare settings, right? It is interwoven in everything we do, but with our families, with our friends, with our community, with society. So take what you can learn and start to integrate that into all that you do. I love that, Kathy. I think that's perfect, right? Respect is a humanistic goal uh, that we take along with us. Um, No, that's great. Nothing to add. Well, thank you both so much. Yes, thank you so much. 
And as always, we hope that you enjoyed another episode of the Woman-Centered Health Podcast. We are always looking for new supporters, sponsors, and guests. So if you'd like to be on our show or know someone who you think would be perfect, let us know. You can find more information on how to support us and contact us on our website at www.womancenteredhealth.com. Oh,